Hi friends, my name is Tracy and I'm so glad you joined us for this episode of the Abundant Living Podcast. This is your podcast where you can discover how to better serve Christ, create great friendships with like-minded ladies, and live a more abundant Christian life. Before we dive in, remember you can find podcasts like this and so much more on a website at christianladiesfellowship.com. While learning more about this unique ministry, you can also read articles, find resources like books and music, sign up to get helpful devotions delivered right to your inbox, and click the link to join the conversation in our Facebook group. Thanks for joining me today for episode number 16 of the Abundant Living Podcast. I'm Tracy Burns, and I'm so grateful that you joined me here today. I love hearing from you that are listening to this podcast, telling others about the podcast, and being helped by this ministry. This week, a pastor's wife from Wisconsin messaged me to let me know she's recommending this podcast to the ladies at her ladies conference this week. If you are one of those ladies, welcome and thank you so much for listening. I hope that you'll share this podcast with another lady who can be helped and encouraged by it. This podcast is a bit longer than most of them, but even when I tried to trim it down, I just ended up finding more scripture to put in here. I was convicted just writing this one. This is a great study that I know will be a help and a blessing to anyone listening. The importance of a right spirit is often overlooked in these days of humanistic philosophies. A casual study reveals that the Bible talks about the spirit many hundreds of times. And by this, we can have no doubt that to God, it's important that we have the right spirit. Like many other aspects of character, it's a necessity to be taught starting as young as possible. When I was a young mom, I determined that I would teach my children to learn to control their spirits. Perhaps the best benefit of waiting until I was 27 to have my first child was that I was able to watch all of my friends have kids first and to observe and learn from their struggles through those early years when training is literally all a parent seems to do. I saw lots of the goods and yes, a lot of the bads of child rearing and was able to learn from all of this before I embarked on raising my own little people. For the most part, the character and the spirit of a young person is pretty much set by the time they reach young adulthood. There are small exceptions to the rule, of course, but in my observation of adults who still have a poor work ethic, use excuses to get out of work and responsibilities, or struggle often with a bad attitude when life doesn't go their way, it is almost a certainty that they'll be fighting an uphill battle for the rest of their lives. For instance, no employer worth his salt hires an employee with subpar character and just hopes that he'll get better. I've worked jobs where I've seen a hire with poor character only prove that he should never have been given the job in the first place. Potential should never be confused with character because potential is meaningless without the character to achieve success. As parents, it's imperative that we teach our children not only the character they'll need, but also the excellent spirit in which to live. This goes even for ourselves. We need character and an excellent spirit to reach our full potential for God. I once overheard a parent complain that their child's bad spirit towards his classmates at school was just the teacher's problem and that it should be handled by the school. That child went on to continue to treat others badly. Often it was excused as that's just the way he is or you know how he is when things don't go his way. The sin of a bad spirit was shrugged away and perhaps never dealt with through scriptural discipline. 
Unsurprisingly, he still suffers from poor friendship skills, which have resulted in having no friends of any value. His spirit is consistently poor and his attitude is negative. Sadly, he will no doubt one day struggle in holding a job and having meaningful relationships and will be consistently hindered by a poor attitude from reaching his full potential for God. Now, that's not to say he can't turn things around. When living fully surrendered lives, we can be transformed by a God of miracles to do the work he has planned for us. However, imagine the advantage of not only getting our own spirits under subjection of the Bible, but also training our children to do the same. Our children will already be ahead of the class in life when they learn to have control over their spirits before entering a harsh adult world. These tips can help anyone, whether you have the opportunity to influence a younger generation through parenting or through a ministry, and especially while trying to master your own spirit. First, having the right spirit means walking in the spirit. To have the right attitude, we must constantly have a diet of the Holy Spirit. The key to good physical health isn't wishful thinking. Lots of people want to be healthy, but if they never eat the right things and they never turn off the TV to go for a walk, they will only be healthy in their heads. They must make the effort, plan the meals, shop for the ingredients, prep the food and cook the meals, make a workout plan, then get out of bed and go to the gym consistently. They must consume the right kind of fuel their bodies need and do the training necessary to achieve optimal health goals. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. A good spirit, a godly spirit can be ours. God wants to give us this, but we must seek the Holy Spirit to have it. Daniel had what the Bible called an excellent spirit, but how did he achieve that? Well, we know from scripture that Daniel walked with God. Getting the Bible into ourselves and into the younger generation that we're training is so important and essential to developing the right kind of spirit. When I was five years old, my family moved to a new city that was quite a drive away from where we lived before. We needed to find a church close to our new home, so each Sunday, our family visited churches in the area. At one particular church, my brother and I went to the kids' class, and in this class, I remember that we had snacks, we got to color, and we got to do crafts. In the car on the way home, my parents asked what we learned. Silence. There hadn't been a Bible lesson a character lesson, a memory verse, or anything biblical other than maybe the color sheet was a Bible character? That part was never explained, so I kind of doubt it. Needless to say, we did not return to that church. My parents understood the importance of even children needing the Bible, especially at church of all places. Sunday school, junior church, children's church should not be glorified babysitting, but a place where kids have fun while having a constant diet of all things Bible. Likewise, in every church worth its salt, preaching should be the main emphasis with the Bible being opened and taught liberally. When growing up, the rule in our house was that you didn't miss church or school unless you had a temperature over 100 or you were throwing up. This was an effective and good standard to live by, except for the time that my brother, trying to stay home, pretend spiked his fever by putting the end of a glass thermometer in a boiling pot of ramen noodles. It exploded in the noodles. Good job, Joe. For the record, he did not get to stay home that day. I haven't been quite that stringent with my own kids, but we do have a rule that if someone is sick enough to stay home, then you have to stay in your bed in your room and you can't watch any screens. 
it's amazing how being reminded that they can't watch TV if they stay home suddenly cures whatever ails them. All this to say, be in church and under the preaching as much as you possibly can. This includes your kids too. Sit next to them and teach them how to pay attention and keep their eyes on the preacher. Instill a respect for the pastor by teaching them to listen and pay attention intently. Now, you and your spouse must make these decisions on what's best for your kids. But let me share what I did when my kids started sitting in church. We decided right away that we wouldn't allow pens, pencils, notebooks, and all that. It was hands in your lap and eyes on the pastor. No note taking, even when they were a little older. It meant more work for us because we had to spend each service training them to create this habit of attentiveness. My kids have always been crazy and wiggly, so this was work. The idea was that we wanted the best opportunity for the Holy Spirit to speak to them and work in their lives. And we wanted no distractions from this. Also, my husband was adamant that they did not sit all over the church and with whomever they pleased. He wanted them next to us or directly in front of us where we could correct their behavior if it needed to be. Some may say that we were mean parents, and perhaps we were. I'm not telling you this to say this is the only way of doing things, but every family should have some kind of structure and rules when it comes to church behavior. It's a fact that kids respond with respect when they have rules and structure that are consistently enforced. My kids are now in high school and it makes me happy to know the benefits of all that early training. Did I tell you how much work that was? Is that the Holy Spirit can speak to my kids so easily through their attentiveness to the preaching. As a parent, I could want nothing less for my kids. The same goes for us grownups. We need a constant diet of God's word if we are to be filled with the spirit. I have a 10 point outline that I've taught in my ladies Sunday school class in the past called how to get the Bible in your life. It includes all kinds of creative ways to make the word of God part of your everyday life. And perhaps I may make that into a podcast for y'all someday. Let's face it. We all need preaching. The Bible says as much. We must take care to strike a balance in our serving so we don't neglect this. Volunteering for an extra time in the church nursery or helping in another class may be tempting, but we need to make sure that we sit under the preaching of the word of God more than we aren't while we're at church. I know in smaller churches where there might be less volunteers, this is going to be a bit harder. This is why it's so important that we recruit and train others to share the work, not only to help them grow through being a part of the work, but so we also make sure we are getting plenty of preaching too. Next, having the right spirit means having a spirit focused on others. We live in such a self-centered society. The victim mentality is touted as bravery and a horrible day is just a long day at work. We are told to rest, take it easy, don't take on too much, and essentially allowed to be lazy because you need you time. I think of my grandmother who went to work to help support her family at age 14 in depression era England. Even decades later, when she told me stories of working long hours in a linen factory with her sisters, she never complained. She seemed proud that she was able to help support her family. It's no wonder that the generation that we call the greatest generation were such great, strong, hardworking people. They were focused on supporting others from working through a terrible depression to sacrificing on the home front during World War II to giving all of their minds and bodies on the battlefields in Europe in the Pacific. 
they were an other's generation, and we can learn so much from studying their spirits of sacrifice. In 1 Peter 4, the Bible tells us, Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Romans 12 is another great chapter that says a lot about how we are to help people, friends, enemies, and beyond. A life lived for others is a happy, fulfilling life. I had a teacher in college who worked to instill an other's mindset in us as young people. She would use this phrase often, giving up our way several times a day and never mentioning it. I think one of the greatest things that my parents ever did for me was to give me ways to serve alongside of them in the church. I learned how to love others in a totally selfless environment. My dad worked on a bus route in Chicago when he was in Bible college. I was about nine or 10 years old at the time. I remember visiting the bus kids on Saturdays to remind them that the church bus was coming to pick them up for church the next day. One of the kids' apartments was up a rickety flight of stairs. When they opened the door to greet us, I saw roaches were visibly walking across the floor. At one point, we all had to stop talking while the L train, the elevated train in Chicago, went by outside just inches from their windows. These kids loved riding the church bus, and they were excited to come learn about Jesus and to be loved and spoiled by all the helpers. I needed to see that as a child. It not only helped me to see how blessed I was in my own life, but it also made me see the needs of others. It helped me to see that Jesus loved those little bus kids living in utter poverty as much as he loved me. Before I even left for Bible college, I had worked in the nursery, helped in junior church, taught Sunday school, sang in church, cleaned the bathrooms, helped in the church bus, and on and on. I did all of this alongside of my parents in the ministry. While also instilling in me a good work ethic, my parents taught me the firsthand joy of living for others. One of the greatest ways to set a broken spirit right is to serve others. Find a person to whom you can be a blessing. Learn to look for ways to serve or help. Anticipate the needs of others and be the first to jump up and fill the need. Your kids will see this. And like all kids do, whether in the good or the bad things, they will copy you. Give them areas of responsibility alongside of you in your ministry work. Teach them how to look for the needs of others. When my kids were small, my husband would point out specific people for them to go give a hug to at church while we waited for the service to start. Many times, it was an older person whose kids were grown and someone who was going through a difficult time. Who can resist a warm, happy hug from a toddler or preschooler? Not only was it an encouragement to those getting the hug, but it taught our kids to love our church family and to speak to the older generation often. Now, they have relationships with people in the church who have loved on them and have been a blessing to them, perhaps just because they used to give them hugs when they were toddlers. Next, a right spirit means having a trained spirit. To think your spirit will just by osmosis be right is a naive way of thinking. The same goes for our children. We would be foolish not to prepare them to face life's trials, endure difficult people, and withstand challenging situations with the right spirit. The Bible has so many verses about controlling and training our spirits. This shows us that God knew we would battle this, so he gave us the tools to train our spirits. A conditioned marathon runner didn't just climb out of bed one morning and decide to run a marathon. He spent time, actually miles, running and conditioning his body to endure running 26 miles without stopping. 
He spent time training his body to endure the test ahead so he could experience the victory of crossing the finish line. Likewise, we as Christians know that we will encounter many things in life that will test our spirits. It's wise to start as soon as possible, training ourselves to handle all that life throws at us in the right spirit. When my kids were really, really little, they would get upset about some injustice that seemed silly to me, but it would be a big deal to them. I did my best not to belittle their feelings, but I did stress to them that being sad was okay, but being angry was not. In most cases, anger causes us to behave badly. It takes real character to be able to be angry and sin not, like it says in Ephesians 4:26. God knew we would find ourselves angry at points in our lives, but he expects us to deal with it and then get rid of it. The second part of that verse in Ephesians says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. This is hard to live for us as adults. Imagine being a child with the same emotions. You may think, how can they understand how to deal with their anger? As parents, we have the greatest parenting tool, the Bible, to train our children to learn to handle their emotions. When they learn to handle it young, it's so much easier when as adults, they have that muscle memory of the Bible to deal with anger. I often quoted Proverbs 16:32 to my kids. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh his city. I stressed to them, even when they were small, not to let circumstances or others' actions or words get to them. Staying in control of their spirits made God happy. Job in the Bible is known for having three friends who were less than helpful in his time of tragedy. They gave all of their opinions and thoughts and long-winded dissertations. There were a lot of emotions and feelings flowing through all of these speeches throughout the book. Most of the time, these friends were wrong. We can just read their words in Job and just see how foolish they were. They should have just stayed quiet. But we rarely hear sermons or devotions about that fourth friend, Elihu, who held his tongue and his thoughts until he knew it was time to speak. Elihu said in Job 32:18, For I am full of matter, the spirit within me constraineth me. Elihu did not open his mouth until almost the end of the book. His words in the last few chapters of Job turn the tide of the story. Instead of speaking his mind right out of the gate, he waited. He showed huge restraint until it was a right time to speak. What a great lesson that is for all of us. A right spirit means seeking and living a more holy life. Now, just like my kids are still in training to control their spirits, so am I. And I'm sure you can say that you are too. I'm not sure any Christian will ever have it all figured out and all put together. We must never let our guard down or grow too proud to think our spirit will not fail us. It's imperative to remember that we aren't enough to control our spirit. It takes the Holy Spirit to help us with this. We should ask God every day to help us with our spirit. Even more so, it's important to live holy lives to have the best foundation for that right spirit. Psalms 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. If David, a man after God's own heart, had to beg God to keep his heart clean and to renew his spirit, we must do the same. It is impossible to have the right spirit while having a dirty heart by living unholy lives. Satan lost our souls when we got saved, so his goal is to keep us from living holy lives so that others will never see Christ in us. He wants the unsaved to see us no different from them. And for them to say, well, look at those hypocrites. Why should I get saved? Or why should I live for God if they don't? Our lives are billboards to the lost. Just like I tell my kids, someone is watching us right now. 
We can never take a day off from living for God because we do not know if today is the day that our example will be a deciding factor in another person's life. How do we achieve holiness? We know perfection is impossible, but striving towards Christ-likeness should be the goal. Holiness comes from loving God so much that instead of finding loopholes to do what we want, we desire nothing more than doing whatever it takes to show God that we love him. In a holy life, our love for him will overwhelm any selfish desires. We will do right because we love him. Holiness is not just what we are not doing, but what we are doing to please God. Too many Christians have that mindset of, well, I'm not living immoral. I'm not dressing immodestly. I'm not missing church. I'm not living a sinful life. I'm not doing wrong. While this is good and necessary towards living a holy life and being Christ-like, it's not the end all be all. After ridding our lives of sin, we should be asking, what more can I do? What are we doing to be more like Christ? How much more can we give to give of ourselves, our time, our talents, our energy, our wealth? You see where I'm going. Holiness is a constant seeking of what more can I do? In college, I fasted once a week and on the day I would fast, I prayed for God to guide my future. One specific prayer I prayed during those days was, God, give me Holy Spirit power. Help me to love you more and show me how to show you that I love you. I was not super spiritual, but I heard sermon after sermon about how men prayed for Holy Spirit power. And I thought, well, if the guys can pray for it and get it, why can't I? Yeah, I was rather audacious, but I had big faith and I wanted to see God do big things with my life. To wrap things up today, while I cannot boast of a perfect spirit because I'll be in training for that until I get my glorified body in heaven, I want to do whatever it takes to get my spirit under the control of my heavenly father. I want to live each day in the right spirit. None of us are promised tomorrow. Imagine if each Christian woke up every day to live that day as if it were the last chance to serve God. What a different world this would be. While we know that won't happen, what if just you did that? How would it change your future? How would it influence your kids for Christ? How would it affect your home and marriage? How about those unsaved or backslidden family members or friends? How would it affect the ministry that you work in? Seeking the right spirit is a great place to start our day. Let's ask God every morning to control our spirits and have victory through our lives. Let's decide to have the right spirit and ask for God to guide us just like David did. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. If you enjoyed this episode of the Abundant Living Podcast, be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcasting app so that you are notified when a new episode is posted. Please rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. For more helpful content, be sure to check out our website, ChristianLadiesFellowship.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you're leaving with some great things that will help you to live more for the Lord, make amazing Christian friends, and serve the Savior every day. Let's go show the world just how abundant the Christian life can be. Until next time.